Okay. Chapter 12. We just got a little bit to go in chapter 12. And we'll be talking about chapter 13 in just a moment. Uh, God, we did this last week, but I'm doing it again, so because it goes along with the next verse. God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, which... Uh, uh, isn't uh, is well thought of. I don't know what to call it. It's not like the arm or anything. It's a, it's a it's a heart that's hidden. Uh, the, the 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 head has greater honor than the heart. So God has given greater honor to that part which lacks it, the heart. That's why He built a cage around it. Uh, he made the body in this fashion that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another, whether a heart or a hand. Shouldn't make any difference. Uh, each one is extremely important in playing their role, living out their role. And uh, the ideal is just like the human body, if one member suffers, well, all, all members suffer with it. If, if your arm's hurting you, it just made a bad day in August. Everything is upset. If one member is honored, then all the members rejoice. It's not jealousy. It's uh, you're proud because a member of your body has been honored. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. Uh, just like the human body, there's the body of Christ, over which, of course, he is the head. And then we're all hands, feet, and whatever. It's, it all works the same way. <clears throat> I don't know why I'm pushing on that thing. I don't even know what it's for. Uh, God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healing, gifts of helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. God has appointed, ordained these things to exist in the early church. Uh, that all these gifts working in concert within a local congregation will help that body to become strong. Are all apostles? No, we had 12 uh, uh, after the death of uh, Judas. Are all prophets? Now the word prophet, you can get a little mixed up on that word. When we think of prophet, we I've always thought about somebody who foretells the future. Actually, a prophet it can be uh, it can be somebody who tells the past. For example, Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, but he did it from a historical point of view. You had to look backwards and write those books because. Uh, Genesis, for example, occurred 2,500 years before Moses lived. So he, he was a prophet speaking about things that happened 2,500 years ago. So the term prophet can be used that way. The term prophet can be used like most of us think of it as telling the future. But in the scriptures, mostly the word prophet is used in a sense of a preacher. Okay? Not always. There are exceptions. But mostly the word prophet is going to be a preacher, somebody who preaches the word of God. And uh, that's what he's talking. I don't think he's talking so much about prophets. Uh, I think the primary prophet at this stage uh, of, 
of life would have been uh, John the Apostle. Uh, Paul, he prophesied, of course, about the coming of the man of sin. And John, he, he actually laid the whole thing out in the book of Revelation uh, in different places. So they, they were prophets in that sense. Uh, I'm not saying they never prophesied because they did. Paul, Paul or somebody, Agabus, he prophesied a coming famine. There were instances where there was foretelling of the future, but mostly the word is used of a preacher. Okay, they, the, I don't know. I should study. I don't know if the word preacher is in the Bible. Uh, I need to check that. Uh, I've never checked that before. I know preach is, preaches is, preached is, but I don't know about preacher. I don't know about, today it's the preacher we talk about all the time. Uh, in the uh, New Testament days, it was uh, the teacher, not so much a preacher. I mean, people preached uh, and they were called prophets, but uh, the emphasis usually is on the word teacher such as uh, Jesus. He was referred to uh, most often as a rabbi or a teacher uh, because he was teaching the people. Uh, I don't think the emphasis back then was so much on preacher <clears throat> as it is today. Do all have gifts of healings? Well, no. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Rhetorical questions. Everybody knows the answer to the questions. But earnestly desire the best gifts have a desire for the gift you would like to have. If it's prophecy, have a desire for the gift of prophecy. You may not get it, but you can work towards that end till you find out at least it's not your thing. Uh, if it's teaching, if it's whatever, uh, work towards that end if you have a desire. But uh, there, there's, there's a better way. That desire to find your niche in the church, that's a very good thing. But there's even a better way than being a, a, a preacher or a teacher or an apostle. There's a better way to accomplish the chief goal, the primary aim of the Church of Christ. And that brings us into chapter 13. Uh, most uh, preachers refer to it very often as a chapter of love uh, because it discusses the matter of love, something that needs to be discussed uh, because I believe it's my opinion that I'm not talking about us but in the religious community at large I think that the notion of love is grossly misunderstood I don't know that people know what love is uh, there's a lot of confusion sometimes people lust and they call it love uh, and we, we get we get it confused. I I had a terrible time with love your enemy. I mean it drove me nuts. Is that Roy? Has he got his own microphone? Uh, I thought somebody's breaking in. <laughs> get the guns out. Uh, Anyway, we'll get to it as we get to it. I, I lost my concentration. The more excellent way that uh, <laughs> Paul's going to show him is the word agape. 
and I know you all know the difference between agape and paleo, but we need to go over it because uh, a lot of people uh, listen to uh, these things. Uh, the more excellent way is agape, not gifts. Everybody was wanting a gift. I want to be a prophet. I want to be a miracle worker. I want to be a healer. I want to be this. I want to be that. And Paul's saying the whole time, agape is better than that. There's nothing, there's, there's no work you can do in the church that's better than agape. Agape is number one. That's primary. Uh, he talks about agape and not phileo. Uh, we're never commanded to phileo our brother, love our brother. Never. It doesn't happen because, uh, quite simply, it just can't be. It can't be ordered. Therefore, God never orders us uh, to phileo everybody. There's, uh, I believe, there's seven words in the Greek that's translated uh, into English as love. Uh, two are primary in the Bible. There's another one, eros, which means erotic, erotic love, but uh, it does, it's only a couple times, but other than that, it's pretty much phileo and agape, agape being the primary word that's used and translated love in our English Bibles. The problem is, uh, what we think love is and what the Bible teaches love to be are, are, are very different. Um, most of the world thinks of love and they think of emotion, emotion. You gotta get a buzz during worship. Gotta make you feel good during worship. That's not necessarily true. If, if you're sinning, it, it's, it should make you feel bad, not good. Uh, because the preacher steps on our toes and it makes us feel bad. So sometimes a good worship, when, when it ends, we feel very bad about it because something's amiss in our life. Uh, but to misapply the meaning of the word love, a person will never know that they're committing sin because God is love and, and God doesn't want us to see us fail and God will over, always overlook our shortcomings like uh, a lot of parents do their own children. Uh, today, we all know it's true, go to Walmart and you'll see it. Uh, a lot of parents' idea of love is pretty much let the kid run wild like a monkey. And um, <clears throat> that's not the biblical meaning of the word love. The word love has to do with uh, edification and benevolence uh, it's it's a, it's a very important distinction because uh, a lot of folks they just misunderstand the fact that God is love uh, agape of course appears in what's known by everybody for God so loved the world that's the word agape and people think well God loves all people uh, like we think of love like you love your wife or like you love your children God loves all people like, uh, like his own children. Well, that's not true. He doesn't call all people his children. They're called his offspring, never called his children. The only way a human being can be a child of God is through adoption. There's no other way. Uh, so he loves the world. What does that mean? Well, the whole world is sin. The whole world is condemned to the devil's hell. The Lord doesn't want anybody to go to a devil's hell, and because 
He doesn't want everybody to go to hell. He let Jesus die on the cross so that through him we could receive pardon and not have to go to hell. Okay? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. There's no reason anymore because now there's a way of escape. But when you hear the word used, uh, I hear it on TV. I listen to TV preachers a lot. I like to know what's going on. When you listen to TV preachers talking about this very statement right here, uh, they're way off base as to what the meaning of it is. Uh, God has given us a second opportunity. That's what this love is all about. Now, you, you can go to John 16, and there's the word phileo is used with regards to God's feelings towards his disciples. Jesus said, my father, speaking to the apostles, he said, my father loves you, phileo, because you love me, agape. Two different words. Because they willed to walk with Jesus, that was their decision to do, God had this emotional attachment to them now. His love had changed. It wasn't just willing that they do well. Now he's got a personal attachment to these people, these disciples of his son. And uh, his love for them is very extensive. Uh, for the child of God, that love exists. For the rest of the world, it does not. It's just not, it's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about love. A very real problem. Uh, and it's always been a problem. It was a problem in the first century. It's a problem today. Uh, orthodoxy without spirit or without the will. Or let's say orthodoxy without agape. Okay. Uh, orthodoxy means keeping law. Okay, it's good. It's good to do. The, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we are an orthodox people. We live by the law of Jesus Christ. And that's a, that's a good thing to live by the law of Jesus Christ. But you can be determined to live by the law of Christ and be without agape. Okay? That's, uh, that was a problem in the first century. That's, that's a problem today. Uh, we've always been accused of it, I suppose, churches of Christ, rather, uh, uh, unjustly so, unjustly so. Uh, people have accused us of being orthodox without love. Well, they, they're talking about orthodox without phileo. That's true. That's the, way, that's the way God is. He's orthodox without phileo, uh, without emotional attachment to sinners. Uh, we have agape love is what we're supposed to have. But so many times there's orthodoxy without love, whether phileo or agape. There's just no love for, well, for God for the, the church, for the world at large. Uh, and that, of course, is a problem. You know, I, I've harped on it ever since I've been here, the importance of 
loving God first and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Of all things we have to do, I believe those are the two hardest things for us to have to do. Uh, we can do it, and not perfectly, but we can do it, uh, but it's very hard to do. And if a person can do those two things, well, the rest of it's going to be all right. Everything's going to take care of itself. Because when the time comes to make a decision, you're going to make the right decision. And if you make the wrong decision, it's not going to be out of malice. It may be ignorance. It may be a mistake. And the Lord's going to pardon our sin for doing so. If we love God and we love our man as we love ourselves, uh, everything's going to be good. I mean, it, it's going to be good. There's just there's two major things, and uh, it's so important. But uh, throughout the generations, it's, there's been cases of law keepers who uh, didn't have love. They were very careful to do the word of God, but they just never did it out of love. They, they did it out of uh, obligation, maybe. That's what you're supposed to do. Uh, then there's the other side of the coin, the unorthodox, those who uh, uh, have no uh, need to keep law. Okay, law is a, is a, one guy told me one time, law is a, I, I hate, I'm, he didn't say this, law is a good idea, but that's what he meant by what he said. Uh, it's, good, it's good to keep law, uh, unless law gets in your way, then it's not necessary to keep law. That's unorthodox. When you say the law of God, well, God will understand or whatever. Whenever you take a position that it isn't necessary to live by the rules God has laid down, that's unorthodoxy. And uh, that is a very big problem today in the world. Uh, most, well, even Catholics and Protestant denominations uh, are not big on keeping law. It's a good thing to do. Uh, the Baptists are probably the best. Uh, they're, they're very careful, at least the Southern Baptists. Uh, they're very careful um, I, to keep law, and I admire them very much. Uh, we disagree on three or four points, but other than that, we have the, the very same philosophy about us as the Baptists. Uh, I've admired many Baptist preachers through the years, uh, but they're unorthodox. They're, it isn't necessary to be baptized for remission of sins, for example. And that's not good because anytime the Lord says do this, it's important to do this. Uh, well, I don't want to do it. Well, there's a lot of things I do I don't want to do, but this is what the Lord wants me to do, therefore I do it. Through the years, we've all had to cross that bridge. Uh, some things are just not fun. They're hard, and we'd rather not do it. So there's such a thing as being unorthodox and uh, leaning on emotionalism. Now today, uh, what's important right now, and this is something that scares me a lot about the future, uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but there's a resurgence in religion across the country um, these uh, socialists uh, have got uh, religious groups uh, stirred up big time. Uh, there was uh, one church, uh, 
I think it was two weeks ago, they decided to uh, have a school for their children instead of public school. It's in Virginia. And uh, the day, the first day they opened the doors, they had 500 students. You know, that's, that's not heard of. You, can, you know, uh, religious schools just don't grow that fast. But on day one, there was 500 because uh, in Virginia, you know, they got a law where parents uh, can't know what's going on in school. Teachers, uh, you know, this transition stuff they're all into. Uh, a child will go to uh, the counselor and they'll say, I, I, I don't feel good about myself. And the counselor, to abbreviate it, the counselor might say something like, well, have you ever stopped to consider that maybe you're living in the wrong body? And then the, the discussions begin. And indoctrination begins. And nobody tells the parents what's going on. They think everything's fine. And if somebody tells the parent what's going on, they can be put into jail for it in Virginia, not in Tennessee. Because there's a law where the parents are not supposed to be uh, informed of such things. Uh, and because of things like that, there is a resurgence in uh, religion, I think, across the country. But it's based predominantly on emotionalism. It centers mostly around uh, music. They have uh, the bands, and uh, I mean, it's good music. I mean, I, I've always loved music. I, used, I played in two different bands in my life. I played rock and roll, and I played country music. Uh, and I've always loved music. Uh, it makes, you know, start getting that beat going. Your foot starts popping. Uh, that's what music does, it has an effect on our animal instincts. And uh, the music that's used in these places uh, is really, really good music. It's more like a concert. It's not like a choir or something. Uh, I know there's I, one church several years ago I read about. Uh, they had a, a group that performed at that church. I think it's up in Indiana. They had a group that performed at that church and they got $100,000 on Sunday for their performance. They only performed on Sunday morning because they didn't come back Sunday night. But it was like a three or four hour service. And it was about these people preaching, I mean singing. Them and some other groups, but this was the headline group. Like going to a concert, a rock concert or something. Uh, it's, it's very emotional. It really gets people's blood stirring. Uh, and, and they come away, they, they're really lifted up by God. Uh, that, that school I was telling you about the other day, uh, at Virginia rather, the, that preacher who started the school, he said, God told me to start a Christian school. You know, God didn't tell him that. I know he didn't. Why did he do it? Because he was emotionally driven. I'm that way. I mean, when it comes to the stuff going on, I really get 
emotionally charged. Uh, I'm very passionate about things I believe in and things I don't believe in. And uh, my mouth gets to running big time when I get in the right conversation. But uh, that's not a good way. Because religion is supposed to be intelligent. And that really, <laughs> that really cripples people. But it is supposed to be intelligent. It's a decision that a person makes. It's not being uh, emotionally charged. I was talking to a fellow yesterday, um, back about probably 40 years ago, maybe a little more, uh, he went to uh, a church at uh, McCoynesville Church, and uh, they had a, they had some kind of a, a special service. Uh, it was good service, nothing wrong with it. Everything was great. Uh, the thing was, though, he he said there was about 20 kids that decided they wanted to be uh, baptized into Christ, and of course they were. And he chose not to. Uh, he didn't think he was ready to, so he didn't. A anyway, the next day uh, at school, uh, he was talking to those teenagers who had been baptized the day or night before. Uh, he got to talking with them, and he discovered that nothing changed. Nothing changed. They were, th they were the same on Monday as they were on Saturday. The ones that cussed continued to cuss. The ones that talked... Uh, dirty, uh, continued to talk dirty. Nothing had changed. And uh, he said he was glad that he wasn't baptized. He said he wanted to be. He, he, he felt like he ought to because everybody was, but he chose not to because there was something about it to him that just wasn't right. Emotionalism, it, you don't have to have big band stuff. Sometimes emotionally, this one thing that scares me about Jackson Smith County Youth Camp is that, uh, you know, you spend a week there and a lot of these kids, you know, they get their, they get charged up uh, and uh, the kids they've been hanging out with all week, one of them might decide they're going to get baptized and their little friends they made that week may decide they're going to get baptized too. If they've made a, a, a sovereign intellectual decision, that's really good. But if it's simply a matter of emotion, that's not good. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, churches can be spiritually weak. The spirit just isn't there. And that, that's a sad thing. I think emotionalism in religion uh, today is a is a is a real problem and something we want to pay always pay attention to uh, always we've joined the lads to leaders as far as i'm concerned it looks really really good but what about 10 years from now could it change well it could anything's possible and if it did what would we do we have to be wise enough to realize that something's gone wrong and we can't be a part of it any longer. We, 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 we don't, we don't want to be naive 
as to what's going on in the church especially, in religion at large, and then of course on a national level. We always want to try to keep up with what's going on so we won't get caught. Wise as serpents, although it's said, but harmless as doves. Uh, we want to pay attention. And this is one right here that we really want to pay attention to, I think. They're coming out with a new Bible. Uh, there's going to be uh, some changes, I think, when that Bible comes out. There's a lot of groups involved in it. Be a couple years from now, though. Uh, this was the problem at Corinth, orthodoxy without spirit. In uh, chapter 11 and verse 2, Paul said, I praise you, brethren that you remember me in all things. They're doing really, really good. And you keep the traditions, the commands, just as I delivered them to you. I praise you for your keeping of the law of Christ. But as we studied the letter, the thing we found out is that they were doing it without love. They were orthodox, but they didn't have the spirit. The same problem existed uh, at, at Ephesus where John the Apostle was elder. <clears throat> Jesus said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary oh boy he loved them for their keeping the law Ephesus is probably the greatest example of all at that particular time well I shouldn't say that I shouldn't say that Smyrna it was just little but man that was a good church uh, anyway they were orthodox but nevertheless I have this against you what's the problem Lord you have left your first love orthodox but without the spirit uh, remember therefore from where you have fallen look at they have fallen fallen from what they have fallen from grace they were orthodox they were doing what the Lord wanted them to do which is good but they didn't possess the love they ought to had for the Lord and for one another and because of that, they were still going to church and they were still doing all these good things, but they had fallen from grace. Everything they did was in vain. Repent. Do the first works. Be like you were in the beginning. Remember what it was like in the beginning? Remember your determination to walk with Jesus? Remember your love for Jesus because of what he did on that cross just for you and your family? You remember how you felt then? Do it again. Think on the same things. Or if you don't, I'll come to you quickly. I'll remove your lampstand from its place. Uh, their existence as a congregation. Unless you repent. The time had come. They had to repent or die. They didn't repent. And it's very sad. One of the best churches at one time, and yet within two generations, it was all over. It's so sad. Anyway, 
the founders did well. The problem still exists today. It's still a problem because it's easier for some to keep law. For me, it's very easy to keep the law of Christ. With all my heart, I believe it is the truth. And I have no problem. My mind is set. I will follow the law of Christ because I've staked my whole life on it. No matter what comes, I would not intentionally deviate by a plan. It's easier to be involved in church work. For me, it's easy. I've been teaching ever since I've been a Christian. And it's, I love it. I love it. And it's easy for me to do. If I couldn't teach, I honestly think I would blow up. It's, it's kind of like Jeremiah's. It's a fire in my bones. It was going to consume him if he didn't get back to teaching. So he got back to teaching. Uh, and, and, and we're all involved in church work in some way. And we, 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 we do what we do, and it's so easy to do it because I love to do it. I love to help people. I love to make it, the church stronger, make the church better, make the light shine a bit brighter. It's an easy, easy thing for me to do. It's easier to do those things than it is to love. I believe, now this is only my opinion, I believe that the hardest two things for us to do is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. I honestly believe that. But at the same time, I honestly believe if we can do those two things, we're going to heaven. Because hell can't stop us. If we love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, it's just a matter of time, and heaven's going to be our home. The two hardest things, in my opinion, and the best two things, in my opinion. Uh, why am I saying all this? Because that's what we want to pay attention to. Do I love? Not mushy love. Am I willing to help my brothers and sisters? Am I willing to give an enemy a drink of water if he needs a drink of water? Can I do that without contempt in my heart? Can I do that without begrudging it? Can I do that cheerfully? Because the Lord loves the cheerful giver. That's what we want to work on in ourselves because I think that's so important. Any questions over that or comments? Oh, I lean my head over like this because my neck hurts and I take the weight off my neck. I got a heavy head. <laughs> told me it weighed 35 pounds. I never told anybody that before because that'd be hard. 35 pound head, that's a big head, ain't it? <laughs> but it's all bone. <clears throat> okay, the preeminence of love. Uh, the first seven verses, I'm going to use the English Standard Version. Uh, I, I don't ever do this much, but uh, I think we'll get the meaning of the first seven verses a little easier uh, from the English Standard Version. 
uh, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Have the gifts of tongues of men and angels. If I have prophetic powers, can understand future events, and understand all mysteries of life and the Christian religion, and I have all knowledge, all knowledge. Man, what will we give for all knowledge? If I had all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, man, this, this is a giant of a person Paul's talking about, but have not love. <clears throat> I am nothing. All those talents and abilities and privileges will do me no good at all if I don't have love. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, become a living sacrifice for the cause of Christ, but have not love, that could be giving out of duty, giving with contempt because well, we have to give, giving with an air of superiority because the other person is down and out, giving with a rebuke, the needy person is irresponsible, they might be, but not always, giving unsacrificially, I gain nothing. Without love, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. I don't know how many times I've had that said to me. And I think caring is very important. But the way it's used, at least the way it's been used to me, uh, I disagree with. What does it mean to care? This is where we have to start splitting hairs. Agape is sacrificial. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. It's opposed by our fleshly nature, the lust of, the flesh, the eye, and the pride of life. Every, is it time? Every one of us are uh, uh, composite beings. We are spirit, we are flesh. Every one of us have a battle that we have to fight. It's the spirit against the flesh. My flesh, your flesh, has certain desires. Some of these desires are quite natural and right in the proper place. But some of these desires are, are very wrong. The question is, can I, the man inside, can I suppress my flesh, fleshly desires? Okay? That's so important, and we're so out of time. We'll take this up, God willing, next week. Boy, Corinthians is packed with stuff I just can't leave alone, isn't it?